You're listening to The Peak Podcast with me, Christina Roman. We're having real, intimate conversations about the interconnectedness of life. Join us as we discuss big topics like intuition, personal mastery, and emotional wellness and why they matter for you. In this episode, I'm bringing my amazing podcast manager, Kaylee Marks, out from behind the scenes to join me on the mics. Working with Kaylee since season one of the podcast has been a total gift, and I think you'll understand why when you listen to this episode. Not only is he talented technically, but he brings his calming presence and his deep spirituality into his freelancing work, which has been such a treat for me. Listen as we dive into the following topics. Getting in touch with your soul through a variety of different techniques, how to view the world through the lens of karma, even if you don't believe in it, in order to empower yourself, buying a tiny house and everything that comes with it, like composting toilets, conscious minimalism, and mobility, how to conmari your physical life and your heart, how to streamline your business with agile project management and gamification, and how to choose a tool and stick to it for maximum productivity, how to use morning pages for increased focus, higher quality outputs, and idea generation. Kaylee shares the story about how one of his jobs came directly from an idea that sparked during his morning pages. Debating and defining manifestation as it relates to your identity and your ego. And lastly, Kaylee's closing thoughts and a beautiful quote to carry into your day. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode. Hi, Kaylee. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Christina. Thanks for having me. I am so psyched to have you here today. I'm bringing you out from behind the scenes and just putting you right in the spotlight. Uh, I'm really excited. This is very meta. <laughs> yeah. So for everyone listening, Kaylee is my podcast manager, and we met through a program called Upwork, and it's been an absolutely amazing experience to work together. But... We have these Zoom calls, and we always get into these fascinating conversations. And I'm like, okay, I got to go, but we have to keep talking about this. So that's why you're here today. Yeah, it's true. If nothing else, this is just a good, a good opportunity to get to actually like, finish a full conversation. <laughs> yes, exactly right. So everyone just gets to eavesdrop on that. Um, and so I was actually just telling you that I, I naturally speak more slowly around you because I think that you have a very... I say peaceful presence. Like you just have such a naturally peaceful, calming energy about you. And I was thinking about this. Have you always been like that? Hmm. I don't know. It's hard to to know that about yourself, but mm -hmm. um, I think I've generally been somewhat peaceful. I think we were just talking about the Enneagram personalities before we started recording this, actually. And yeah. uh, one of them is the peacemaker, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is maybe one of the one of the personality types that I fluctuate into. Okay. Okay. So I was telling you I'm a four, which for anyone who's not familiar with the Enneagram is the individualist. And it's a lot about, I say the one word, the one sentence summary is your, the fact that you're different or perceive yourself as different is your greatest source of pride and your greatest source of shame, which makes me laugh because I totally <laughs> relate to that. <laughs> um, so and you you're interested in astrology. And then we've also talked about other personality tests. So what else is on your mind in terms of personality tests? Hmm. Well, I think that um, we're, our personality is just a sliver of who we are. I think that uh, our true essence or our soul is the majority of who we are. And personality is sort of sculpted, you know, environment, nature and nurture. Um, I, I believe in karma. And so I think my personality is like a, an amalgamation of, of all these different external factors. And um, so I, I feel like it tells a piece of me, but the more that I'm in tune with my soul and who I really am, that is hard, a little harder to kind of diagnose or, or put into a, a category. Mm, okay. Well, we're going to go very deep, very quickly. So how do you <laughs> get in touch with your soul? Oh, that's such a great question. How, well, I can only speak for me because I think everyone does it in different ways. But um, one way is to get kind of quiet and listen. And that is harder for me than, than I, you know, 
I'm not, I'm not a master at this, but the times when I have successfully, um, sort of stopped letting my mind just go on habitual thought mode Mm -hmm. and kind of drop into my heart, which feels like trying to feel love in this moment and trying to feel gratitude and then getting quiet. That's when I feel like my, my real self is, is most accessible. Hmm. So we've talked a little bit about some of the things that you do to access your spirituality and to practice, I guess, your spirituality as well. And so what you just described when you're getting quiet and really feeling loved, would you say that that's meditation or would you call that something else? Yeah, you know, I I would say I think there's a lot of different methods for meditation and I I practice a lot of different ones. There's um, Buddhist meditation, there is um, sort of uh, what's it TM transcendental meditation. There's like completely non-religious. You could even say non-spiritual meditation, very much like therapeutic meditation, like reducing stress, clearing the mind. Um, and, and then there's bhakti yoga, which is the, the path I follow. And the goal isn't really a state of no feelings or of nothingness, or even of a quiet mind. The goal is actually to kind of melt into love with a, a a relationship with the divine that would be the end goal and sometimes that feels like intense crazy emotion and sometimes that feels very peaceful and it, it's, it's a it's a very dynamic thing hmm. interesting i think that it's interesting to me to have conversations with people who are not super familiar with meditation and i think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about mm. what you are supposed quote I'm putting quotes <laughs> supposed to do during meditation and so I think that those misconceptions stop a lot of people from starting so mm. one of the things that I hear the most is um I I'm too restless and I'm like that's kind of the point <laughs> like that's that's who's supposed to meditate oh totally I love that yeah I'm actually extremely restless and it's very hard for me to sit still and um keep my eyes closed for longer than five minutes. And, you know, there's these Vipassana retreats where people are going for 10 hours or sorry, it's like eight hours a day of meditation uh, for 10 days. And that is just mind blowing to me. And it's a, it's an amazing skill to cultivate, to be able to kind of withstand the turbulence of your mind. And, you know, one of the most common ways that people meditate is, It's the idea of not attaching yourself to your thoughts. You are different than your thoughts and the thoughts are like clouds rolling across the landscape and you don't have to attach yourself to them. And that's um, such a helpful ability to have in today's world when we're constantly bombarded by images and it's sort of like a chance to kind of unload all these images and thoughts that we've been accumulating throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And what, what I do is mantra meditation. And so mantra uh, is a Sanskrit word. Man means mind and tra means to to liberate or to free. So mantras help us to free our mind. And it's sort of a positive direction. So rather than not holding on to any thought, it is holding on to a mantra. And the most powerful mantras from the Vedas are the names of of God, in both the feminine aspect as well as the masculine aspect. Hmm. It's interesting. I'm having a, a reaction to the word mantra because I actually just wrote I wrote a post about how to how to change your identity. And I don't know if you I know you shared it. I don't know if you remember this part that I was like, mantras suck. And it's interesting because I think that there's two different kinds of mantras. So one is the kind of mantra that you're talking about, which is focusing your attention on a mantra in order to increase your focus. Um, and your presence, I would say. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then the way that I was talking about mantras is this idea of just repeating positive thing, positive affirmations to yourself mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and my point there was just repeating something positive to yourself that you don't actually believe has little impact. Oh, totally. So I just think that's a really interesting distinction between those two different types of mantras. Yeah, I think that, that we we kind of grab words in our society and and they we think we're all on the same page about what they mean but they can mean so much and sanskrit in particular is 
one of the most, if not the most ancient um, language, and it is, it's extremely respected in uh, scholarly, uh, in academia. It's, it's, a, it's a really fascinating language, and so many words in Latin and things connect back to it. Like, for instance, um, I don't actually know the Latin word for soul, but in Spanish, which is pretty close, it's alma, right? Mm-hmm. A-L-M-A. And yep. in Sanskrit, it's atma, A-T-M-A. So, and that's the same word for soul. So it's very interesting to see how these connect. But the, the words in Sanskrit are extremely dense and every word can have so many meanings and so many um, explanations and commentaries. And so mantra is a very, uh, is a very powerful word like this. And, you know, if I sit here and I, and I just chant, um, coffee, 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 coffee like the chances of a coffee materializing in my hand or I don't think that would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say that if you're what you're focused on, you go after. So maybe I'll get up and make myself a coffee if I chanted that long enough. But the word coffee doesn't inherently possess coffee, but with mantras. So if you, if you notice any sort of like magical fantasy show, movie, whatever, there's these, you know, spells, there's these magic words that people use to conjure or change their reality, conjure something in their reality or change their reality. Mm -hmm. So mantras, when chanted with the correct mood, with the correct meditation, can change things in our life. And the goal isn't necessarily to become an all-powerful genie or something, but the goal is to change our heart and to build a deeper relationship with the divine and and all of creation, all living entities. And so these mantras can awaken this this inherent love and um, and relationship with all that is. Hmm. I feel like I'm just going to sit in silence so much on this podcast because I'm just internalizing everything that you're saying and just kind of letting it wash over me. Um, it's really powerful. So for someone who is actively seeking spirituality or maybe somebody who's not but is seeking more of that focus and a calmer, more peaceful mind. Do you have a resource or do you have a, a call to action that someone could put into their life today? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, first off, I just want to say that nothing that I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not coming up with anything I'm saying. I'm doing the best I can to repeat what my teachers have shared with me mm-hmm. and what they've shared with me, they've gotten from their teachers. And it's what we call in, in Sanskrit a parampara or a disciplic succession. So you have guru disciple throughout the ages and, and you also have ancient Vedic uh, texts or, or scripture. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just doing my best to repeat these things. Uh, I'm not making anything up. And so as far as resources go, um, I, 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 for me, bhakti yoga and mantra meditation is, is where it's at for me. So, uh, I think this might tie into like some books that I can recommend later as well, but the, uh, international, uh, pure bhakti yoga society, which we can link as well, uh, has a, an immense collection of books and also Vedabase has all of um, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada's books. And he's taking these ancient, incredible Vedic scriptures that were previously extremely hard to, like you would have to know Sanskrit to read them, and he translated them into English. And so we have access to this ancient Vedic knowledge. And it's an incredible place to um, ground in spirituality because it's, a, it's the science of self-realization. It's not a sentimental aim. It's grounded in some amazing philosophy that uh, stands absolutely stands up next to Socrates, to Plato, to these kinds of uh, Western philosophies. And so, yeah, we can link to those. And I think those are great resources. And then simply chanting, you know, ch- or, or simply just being with your, with your own heart and feeling gratitude for your relationship with the universe and for being here. And there's a lot of pain here there's a lot of beauty and it's it is ultimately harmonized and that's sort of the goal is to see that harmony in everything hmm. what does harmonize mean to you so i'm a musician and um harmony is sort of the beauty of the relationship between different sounds 
Mm-hmm. So we could say two sounds or three sounds or five sounds, but harmony would be how how beautiful can we make this relationship? And if you've ever played an instrument, you know that there's some relationships between notes that can be quite difficult to pull off in a way that sound beautiful. They sound uh, what we call dissonant, which would be the opposite maybe of, of harmonious. Mm-hmm. Um, or we, we use consonants and dissonance, but dissonance would be, oh, that's pretty jarring. And like you'll notice in thrillers or scary movies, like they'll play on that a lot. They'll use these mm-hmm. really tense relationships. But harmony would be it in jazz illustrates this very interestingly enough where if you depending on how you play these tense relationships you can actually kind of squeeze out these really beautiful sounding uh relationships and it it depends how you play the notes it depends uh how far apart they are and so harmony is the the balance and the dance between potentially opposites or complementary aspects of reality I don't know if that makes any sense. It makes sense. You're just pushing me outside my comfort zone because I am not musical. And but it's I I think it's super interesting because um, I don't think I've ever shared this with you that I was doing my intuitive writing once and I heard the word harmonize and it was so out of context. I didn't understand it at all. And I really tried to dig in. And it was one of the few moments with my intuitive writing where I just felt completely stuck um, so it's, it, I have this special radar for when people say the word harmonize, because mm. I, I feel like every time someone mentions the word harmonize, there's a lesson for me that I haven't completed yet. Does that oh. make sense? Oh yeah. For me too. That's awesome. Yeah. Harmony is one of the greater mysteries of the universe. And, you know, if you're into Tesla's work and stuff, he talks about sound and frequency and vibration and Harmony is the study of the beauty behind all of that. And, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's really easy when things are going well to be like, oh, everything's so harmonious. It's going great. So the challenge for me personally is when things are really difficult. And, you know, one argument towards the idea of God or a creator is like, well, there's, there's terrible suffering and pain throughout all of existence. So how the, how the heck could there be an all good creator that made this? Mm-hmm. And so harmony is understanding that the environment is always favorable. And this is a quote from one of my, my teachers, um, mm-hmm. Srila Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Maharaj. And the, the environment is always favorable. We just have to uh, position ourselves correctly, basically. And mm-hmm. that's harmony is, is saying, okay, things look really bad from this angle, but that's not the environment's fault. That's not the universe's fault that's my location or my 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 perspective is i'm seeing things off and harmony would be to see them in the greater in the greater picture in a beautiful way and see how everything is actually serving the highest good i find that really interesting and i believe that and i can also hear responses from people listening that say yeah, but look at the administration, but look at the poverty, look at, um, you know, look at the political situation. How can you possibly say that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I struggle with this, too. And um, depends on how big your lens is. You know, I feel it, there's some there's some things about truth that don't maybe go down so smoothly. And it's a bold claim to be like, this is truth. If we got into a discussion about what is truth, it's like, it's a big conversation. For me, I follow, I I try to follow my teachers and I try to follow these ancient Vedic uh, texts because there, you know, even in the science community, there is a, there is a boon or a, there's a gift given to us by ancestors to continually grow a body of knowledge and pass it down um, in high fidelity, so not not being changed and altered. And so to have something that isn't changed that's lasted thousands and thousands of years, mm-hmm. um, it, we, we get the benefit at least of a lot of wisdom throughout the years. And so um, one of the things the Vedas talks about is karma. And this is a thing that's really hard for for people who are going through immense amounts of suffering to to, to, to consider. And I, and I get it. And it's, it's by no means a, oh, you you deserve all this terrible pain right that you're getting it's not like oh it's 
it's your fault. That's that's like a maybe one voice you could say it in. And at the same time, um, we are empowered, I believe. I think you might agree with this too from a life coaching standpoint. We are empowered when we take responsibility for our choices. Mm-hmm. And if you believe in karma, you, you believe in reincarnation of some sort, maybe maybe at least from the physical standpoint of like atoms, you know, all atoms breaking, molecules breaking down and reassimilating in, you know, in the world in different forms. But if you believe in reincarnation, we are cause and effect. We are here because of past actions and everything that is manifest around us is a result of our past actions and other beings past actions. And so when we take responsibility for that and we see this isn't a punishment from the universe to me, but really this is a gift from the universe to me and everything is for my highest good, even the most intense challenges. It only empowers your choices. It doesn't hurt you in any way. I think that's so well said. And I, I was going to revisit that point too about it always being favorable. It's just where you position yourself. I love that. Um, and I think to your point, I always say to clients, something might be true, but is it helpful? Mm. You know, it might be true that someone said X, Y, Z to you, but is it helpful to be focusing on that? Um, And I love that perspective always of what information is this giving me? Like if I have a reaction to something, I don't know, there's so many different terms for this, but one of the um, one of the terms that I've heard is the thorn. It's from um, the untethered soul, which I haven't actually read yet. Have you read that? Mm Mm-mm. Okay, so it's a it's a book. I imagine that you would like it, given what I know about you. Um, and it says, you know, everything that happens in your life, if it sparks a reaction in you, it's a thorn. And you need to go to that side of the thorn and discover what's happening. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. I love that image. Yeah. Or my mom actually passed another one on to me recently. She said, I don't know where she got this, but she basically was communicating something that someone else said, which is, if you're more than a little bit upset by something it's old pain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i combine that that idea that there's information in the pain and i combine that with this view that there's it's always favorable and i think that's a really powerful worldview. yeah and i think that many modalities such as life coaching and nlp and uh, process coaching and just you know I, I, even counseling I think, um, or certain modalities of counseling, it, there's a focus on the present, on what we can do, on how we're contributing to things. And obviously there's childhood stuff. There's all these things that have happened that are part of, of our story. But um, sort of like your episode on acceptance and commitment therapy, right? Like just being being with the feelings now. And if we get too wrapped up in the story it derails us from what we can actually do to make positive progress. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And just for anyone listening who heard that acronym NLP, I just want to clarify, we'll put that in the show notes, but it's neuro linguistic programming. Um, So we won't go too far into that, although we might have to get someone on here to talk about it because I find it fascinating. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Um, I want to, I want to segue into this perception that I have of you And I would love to bounce it off of you and see if you think it fits. How do you feel about that? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Um, I'm like, I'm just going to categorize you and you tell me if my category fits. Great. (laughs) Um, So I have this perception of you that in many ways you've opted out of the mainstream. And I've collected evidence of this. (laughs) Just paying attention to your life. Not not creepy. Um, But so you live in a tiny house now, which I would love to hear about. And you are a freelancer, so you're working on your own. Um, You do a lot of work with Hinduism. And so I just kind of made this story up that you have very purposefully chosen to opt out of a lot of mainstream culture. True or false? Hmm. Is it true or is it false? Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm I, sorry. Maybe it's, it's like the rebel in me, but I don't know if I can go so binary. I say that. Challenger. <laughs> maybe you're an eight Enneagram. <laughs> maybe, I'm de- I don't think I'm an eight because I know some eights and I'm definitely okay. not an eight. Okay. okay. But maybe I'm affected <laughs> by the eights that I know. <laughs> um, you, I'll allow non-binary thinking. I do teach it to my coaching clients. I'm always like, 
your either or thinking is keeping you stuck. Let's work on non-binary thinking. So I guess <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> totally. I mean, it's useful. It's useful to to just go ahead and give straightforward answers as well. But for this one in particular, I'd say that in some ways I've opted out of mainstream culture and in other ways um, I'm totally still part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that's a constant struggle is seeing how much of, how much of the, of the sort of cultural momentum I want to be swept up in and, and how much feels like maybe not as useful. So the tiny house thing is, uh, just an incredible way. Like I, I've owned a house and I went through the mortgage thing and, you know, like the property tax and it, it's, it's a, it's an interesting financial situation. Whereas now with this tiny house, the freedom, it really does help you save and the freedom to move it. You kind of have this, this voice in the back of your head. that's like, Oh, you could just shift this to a different state if you don't like this state. So it gives you, it gives you a little bit of the, of the mobility uh, aspect, which is quite nice. Mm-hmm. Mobility. I, I, I'm really curious about the moment that you were like, yeah, let's live in a tiny house. Well, so I was, um, I, I lived in a regular house and like I was saying, the mortgage and the property taxes kind of, it was making it hard to save. And mm-hmm. I didn't really want to be part of that kind of gridlocked system. Mm-hmm. And so the thought kind of, I was playing around with tiny houses and then I was like, no, maybe I want to do like a little trailer thing or they have these amazing r- runaway campers, which are, you could tow it with a sedan. It's like mm-hmm. so light and it, the people live in them and do some crazy things. There's these teardrop trailers that are really cool. So I was considering a lot of different alternative options. Like how can I be a little bit more flexible? Because I like to go travel overseas and to India especially. And when I go there, it's such a long journey. You kind of want to be there for several months. So having a house that you have to figure out how to rent, all this stuff makes it more tricky. So I was trying to find a more mobile, small small footprint and I get overwhelmed by too much maintenance too. So the house with, with all that it has is, is too much for me. And so, yeah, I I didn't really think I was going to end up buying a tiny house, but I I have this magic ability on Craigslist where I can find really great stuff. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's useful. And, um, I found this smoke and deal on a tiny house that this, uh, amazing woman had built, uh, by herself, and it's, it, it was just like, okay, I got to do this. This is too nice. And it's a great deal. And so it just all, all the pieces fit. And, you know, it has the composting toilet and I recycle the gray water. And it's, it's such a fun environment to live in. It's, you know, you wake up every morning and you're like, wow, this is so unique. Yeah, no kidding. I, let me interrupt here. Would it be totally socially inappropriate to ask you how, what a smoking deal looks like on a tiny house? Oh. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. So like th- this one was, uh, was, uh, this one was listed for 20 K, mm-hmm. but then she was like, Hey, I'm just being honest with you. Some other people have come by and I'm, I'm willing to go to 10. And I was like, Oh my wow. God, $10,000 for like, <sighs> so for those who haven't ever researched the tiny house market, uh, I don't know why you haven't been researching the tiny house market, but <laughs> <laughs> usually there it's above 30 grand for, even a, a smaller tiny house. And so to get something for 10, uh, I, I knew I had to jump on it. No kidding. So did it, I mean, I'm, I feel like we need to post pictures of your tiny house, but is it a style that you like? Yeah. I mean, if I was to build something completely from scratch, I would do different things, but I, from a young age, I've always wanted a loft, right? That's one of the, the really attractive things to me about the tiny house lifestyle is you have to use the vertical space as well so it has a loft and yeah it's it's very nice I'm, I'm very happy there and for having your own private space like if you live in any pretty big metropolitan area it's so expensive to live by yourself and you have neighbors <laughs> yeah. usually and so to have my own space i can play music as loud as i want it's it's isolated from other buildings it, it's really uh i'm i'm pretty stoked on it that's so neat. I just, I've been fascinated by tiny houses for so long. And I just, I have a, 
an interest. It's funny. I have an, an academic interest in minimalism. I'm not a minimalist, but I love to follow minimalist content. Um, and then I just love this idea of really multifunctional spaces. You know, I love to compost. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I just, I don't know. I think it's so neat. What I'm curious, what value do you think or values do you think your tiny house matches in you? Mm. Well, you know, you're talking about minimalism. I, I I would like to be more minimal. Moving into the tiny house has forced me to uh, be very conscious about what I am bringing into it. You just literally can't fit that much stuff. So you have to be very... So I had a whole recording studio and now mm-hmm. I have my laptop, you know? So it really got me to think about what do I really need to, to do my work, to do my art, uh, to do my spiritual practice. And it's it's cool to see sort of your life reflected out externally as simply as it needs to be, or it's not as simple as it, as it could be, but it's, it's pretty minimal. And that's, that's been really cool. So values, I would say, um, sort of being satisfied with what you have, um, also being, uh, so my, my, uh, my bachelor's was in sustainable community development and I did oh, okay. a lot of study into permaculture. And so definitely, you know, because I'm doing gray water recycling and stuff, just being very conscious of what products I bring into the house as far as soaps and, and things like that, cleaning supplies. Um, yeah, I think, I think I would like to take that even farther and do rain catchment and solar and stuff. And it's, I think that's a process Mm -hmm. to, to get it fully off grid, but you know, one, one step at a time doing the composting toilet uh, trying to re- reduce as much water as possible. I feel like those are really important, important aspects of the of the tiny house lifestyle that that called out to me. Mm-hmm. What is the thing that you miss the most about having a house or having, let's just say, more space? Mm, I don't miss anything. Cool. I love that answer. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, so I'm funny. Happy. That's I, I love that. I, I mentioned this on, on another podcast episode before that I when I moved to Central America, I put all my stuff in storage and went and traveled with one suitcase. And when I came back, once I realized I was going to be gone for longer than I thought, I came back to empty out my storage unit. And it was just so revealing. My I just remember was standing with my mom at my storage unit and being like, none of this matters to me. It's it was all in shitty condition, <laughs> so that you know was part of it. But just looking at it, I was like, yeah, this. I mean, I look at the full life that I've lived with one suitcase, and the and the weightlessness, and then I look at this storage unit just filled with junk, and it, the weightiness of that. It was just I don't know such juxtaposition between those two feelings. That's amazing that you got to to really you did you almost like forget about what you had in there it's so funny i i would say to people i'm like you know what i never thought about once while traveling like i'm like i'm meeting best friends i'm staying in hostels i'm you know just like meeting exciting people seeing the most beautiful things do you think that i sat on my bed and thought about my like nasty ripped up couch not (laughs) once not once (laughs) totally totally (laughs) yeah yeah it was really striking to me because i i I thought I was more materialistic than it turns out I am, which is kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, it's cool to see what what you can actually function off of. And like you're saying, you feel you feel a lot lighter kind of being able to fit your inventory in your mind. But the more you have, yeah. the more there's like these items that are at the edges of your consciousness that you kind of mm-hmm. care about, but you don't really know what they are. And they're affecting you because they're in your way, literally. And mm-hmm. so when you get when you get a little more stripped down and simple, it it definitely feels like uh, an externalized form of meditation mm, where you're yeah. kind of clearing your, your environment. And, you know, Mary Kondo, the whole yeah. tidy revolution, uh, which I, I love that. I mean, I think that's a fantastic, you, you know, like going back to your, to our, the first part of our conversation, like how to begin engaging in spiritual practice. I think that there is this theme of, of tidying, our heart. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. want to make an altar in your heart. 
And so there's all sorts of stuff in there. And so we got to clean it. And one really good way to begin that process, because sometimes people are like, what's, what is the inside internal realm of, you know, what, what's inside me? It's besides my organs. Like, how do I go inside? What does that even mean? Yeah. Well, one way is like, okay, clean your room really nicely, make a nice place to sit down and, and meditate for a little while. And so tidying everything, looking at what you have, um, just, it, it leaves you feeling so peaceful. I love that so much. And I've actually used that analogy of the the tidying up movement to talk about tidying up your thoughts mm. and your brain. And so I always say, like, what if you just spent some time with yourself and you dug through your belief systems, which, you know, beliefs are just thoughts you've repeated and believe mm-hmm. and just looked at each thought and asked, does this bring me joy? Mm. Does this spark joy or does this spark um, does this spark a feeling that I want to be feeling? And I think that's a really interesting experiment and a really interesting way to look at it is this idea that just like your physical possessions, you have control over what's in your mind. And I think people often don't know that. And so yeah. increasing that awareness that you do have control of what's in your mind. And so you can ask if it's sparking joy. Right. Yeah. You're not your thoughts. You're observing them. And then you have the power to um, choose what you want to associate with. And I think, I, I don't know, I, I my belief is that a lot of us struggle with some maybe negative self-talk sometimes. I think people often have that. I know I have that. And mm-hmm. uh, learning to kind of question like, okay, just because I'm thinking this doesn't mean it's true. And uh, I'm not sure that I want to treat myself this way. <laughs> so I'm yeah. Try and change the way I'm saying this to myself. Yeah. And I think asking too, like, would I let someone else treat me this way? Like, yeah, would yeah. I let a partner or a friend treat me this way? Probably not. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I think also in terms of the whole tidying up, it makes me think about one of the things that I've done in the mornings to really ground myself is during my morning pages, which you know all about, <laughs> I've done an episode on that, I will often just look around and I'll choose a color and I'll just start naming things of that color. And what it does is, one, it makes me appreciate the things that I have. And two, it just gets me fully grounded through my five senses. Mm, yeah. And then this is this is like a whole different level. This is going to sound so like woo-woo and hippie, but sometimes I walk around my apartment and just like touch things one by one. Oh. Interesting. Very tactile. Mm-hmm. Does that sound weird? No, not at all. Like, are you what, what's going through your your mind when you're when you're touching them? I'll just be like, let me feel. I guess it's. I mean, it's a version of a grounding mechanism, right? Mm. Which is my friend taught me about that. Like, is used in a lot of forms of therapy. Is really centering yourself in the present moment through your touch, oh, and right. so like touching a flower or touching a book or touching a glass bottle, just really feeling that on your skin Mm -hmm. just brings you into the present moment. And when you're so much in the present moment, your mind can't be in 20 different places. Oh, totally. Yeah. I I can see how that would be an anchor. And also like to Mary Kondo's method, uh, I think she talks about this a lot with folding. Like you want to, the objects you have, you want to love on them. She sort of person, but like personifies, she gives all her items personality almost. Mm. And so she's like, yeah, you want to fold it. Every inch of the cloth should, you know, get the love of your hands or something like that. And so mm. it's kind of interesting going around your, your, your home and being with whatever you have there. And it's like, if you're going to have it, then you're going to check in with it and have gratitude that it's there serving, you know, doing, serving good purpose. And I think that's cool as well. Yeah. And if you you feel it and you're like, yeah, no, ready to let this one go. (laughs) Yeah, right. Totally. Um, So just to wrap up this part of the conversation, I think that you've given me some really good food for thought on how to to just be more present in my everyday life, which is something that I'm absolutely seeking to do. Um, And to I think you've given really tangible ways to dive into your own soul. Beautiful. I'm glad that that, that that has come out of this. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so 
I would love to talk a little bit about business. So you and I know each other through a business context, obviously. And I I find it super interesting because I don't know if I ever told you this, that I was interviewing a few different podcast managers at the same time that I was interviewing you. And I just had this feeling that you are going to be awesome. Oh. And uh, <laughs> do you feel awkward? No, not at all. <laughs> good, good, good. So good. Good. Um, And I think you've been such an incredible asset. Um, Doing this podcast has been so challenging and so vulnerable. And so I am like, you're not just a technical podcast manager by any means. You're really a podcast coach. Um, Got some therapist in you. But there's been so many times when I've just been able to come to you and say like, hey, I recorded this episode. I'm freaking out about how people are going to perceive it. And you just give me – I don't know how you do it, but you just give me this such, again, calming presence that just brings me down to earth. And I'm like, okay. And you you encourage me to say the things that are hard to say. Oh, that's that's so good to hear. I mean, I don't know how much of of the audience uh, thinks about the the amount of – courage it takes to sort of hop on here and just share your truth and I I have a lot of respect for what you do because it's scary you know to 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 try and try and speak what you know is right for you and to uh, you know ask hard questions and talk to all these different people of varying backgrounds and um, when I, I remember first seeing the description on so the freelancing site we met on for everyone listening is Upwork, and if you're mm-hmm. if you're any any kind of freelancer type, if you're not on Upwork, it's a great site. Um, you can you can get some good gigs through it. And I remember the description of the Life Coach podcast, and I you know mm-hmm. just just this the the idea of getting to um, collaborate with someone in this area was super exciting. And I did not expect you to be so down to earth and (laughs) spiritual and conscious and scientific. And like, um, you're so productive. You get so much done. I mean, you you kicked season one's ass so quickly. We kicked season one's ass. We did. We did it. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's super interesting because I, well, I'll just say this. Uh, multiple things. One, I had such a bad impression of Upwork, and you've changed that for me. Thank you. Upwork, you um, should give me some free connection credits because of this. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, come on, sponsor us, Upwork. Yeah. There you go. We should totally submit this to them. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll cut the part where I said I have a bad impression of them. But, um, but yeah, I think that I always say to you, having you be the first person to listen to the recorded episodes is so reassuring to me because I feel like nothing I say is going to shock you or weird you out. You're just going to take it all in stride. And that's so comforting to know that you're the first person listening. I'm so glad to hear that. But the real way that I was like, oh, I was like, oh, he's so cool and calm and spiritual. But then you showed me your Trello board and you showed me your process. You were like, can I screen share? And I was like, yeah. And then you did. And I was like, okay, we're good. (laughs) Let's work together. Tell yeah. us about Trello and your, I guess, project management in general. Maybe um, maybe even telling people what Trello is if they're not familiar and just why it's been so important in your business. This is We're also not sponsored by Trello, but we're open to it. Yeah, we're so open to it. <laughs> I love that you're asking me about Trello because I, w- I could talk about Trello all day, every day. Um, <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, every day. So Trello is Trello is a project management tool and Trello is one of many using a system called Kanban. And Kanban is um I'm trying I want to paint a picture for you listeners in your mind. So <laughs> if you just think of let's say let's just say three columns and the first column is to do, the middle column is doing and the last column is done. So that's the that's the like bones of a of a kanban board and you could name those categories whatever you want and you could have more columns and whatnot. But you basically have tasks that are to do and then you can only work on so many things at once and that's in the doing and then you have done and that's when it's done. And you can that you know there's many ways to make this process more complex and huge software companies. This is part of what is called agile project management. And it has this ability to flex and change and adapt and and be a very fluid way to manage large, complicated projects. And you can have multiple boards for multiple parts of a project. And 
Um, you can have multiple collaborators on a board. And so, yeah, when you were using Trello too, Christina, and so you already, I think you, you probably had your own board going at that time. It was, it was just mm-hmm. great to, to be on the same page about that literally. And that was, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, <laughs> yes, literally on the same website, <laughs> but it, it, uh, it makes, it makes life so much easier to see everything and then to physically move the task through space. So the difference between Trello or Kanban in general and like a, a task list is, okay, you write a list, you do it and you're done. Mm-hmm. Whereas a Kanban, you're, you're seeing, you're seeing your entire to do list in time and you're seeing what stage of progress. So I just said there's those three columns, but you can break that into more columns and have different um, different phases of the of the project. And that really helps see where a task might be bottlenecking another task, or you know, if you're waiting on someone else to complete a task, then you can put that task in like what what we might call like a yes. hold hold yes. column. My favorite column. Yeah. So it's interesting that column. Hopefully this isn't super boring for everyone listening. But the whole <laughs> I'm like co- I'm like so intrigued here. I, it's my own board. I'm like yes. <laughs> oh well, the whole <laughs> column is interesting because whatever you've put in the hold is technically the highest priority because you should be prioritizing your tasks, you know, based on what's most urgent and what's most important or what will move the project forward um, most efficiently and effectively. And so if something is no longer being able to be worked on by you and you have to put in the hold category as soon as that task is ready to be worked on again because someone else delivers you something or you know does with their part of the task that is the most important thing because you had created that earliest and so you have to then put that to the top of your list and finish it and using this method like huge companies like xbox can deliver daily content and fix crazy complicated software bugs and it's just such a it's such a great tool for getting projects done i highly recommend some kind of board and actually christina i wanted to share with you there's one called um notion Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's like trello but even more possibilities so that there's many different apps out there that do similar things you know it's so funny when you said notion i'll definitely put it in the show notes my one of my thoughts is i have two thoughts one is that my business partner in my old business is going to kill me if she listens to this because I was always so <laughs> resistant to new software. And <laughs> and we found out that this happened so many times with our software, which she would be like, hey, I found this new robust one. We should switch over. And sometimes when we did, I was like, okay, yeah, I was stubborn. We definitely should have switched earlier. Like ConvertKit is the email marketing platform that I use. Mm-hmm. She convinced me and I'm sold. I mean, it's amazing. And it took me way too long. But I will say in my defense, I do see a lot of business owners or just even people like even if you're not running a business and you're working in a corporate setting, get so bogged down with making the decision of which software to use or which Uh, tool to use. And so I always say I'm like, listen, Asana, Trello, maybe Notion, the average person is never going to get to the depth that it's going to matter Mm -hmm. how robust it is like the average person's going to use probably 10 percent of the features yeah and so if that's what's holding you up from actually being productive then just make a decision yeah i think that's a great that's great advice it's like the tools are going to work for you if it's decently recommended by a large quantity of people you can make it work and is there going to be things like i i I don't know if you go through this a little bit of like um like you'll, you'll try a lot of different things and then you kind of have your entire life skewed, scattered across all these different apps and stuff. And it gets mm-hmm. a little bit overwhelming and you, some things can fall through the cracks. And so definitely think it's best to just pick something and use it thoroughly. And maybe you end up switching again in the future, but you know, just like you, like you're saying, just jump, make a decision and, uh, and it, it all, it does help. They all help, you know, yeah. they, they order your life and make it way more easy and manageable to get stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm laughing because I'm like, I think our voices just sped up like 1.5 or 2x from when we were talking about spirituality and meditation. <laughs> Either the coffee or the trailer conversation. <laughs> Both. Um, no, because I'm like, I haven't talked about productivity on the podcast yet. This is amazing. Um, so you mentioned a few things that I think are super interesting. So I want to pause real quick at your life being scattered across different uh, apps or different tools when you when push comes to shove what are your 
let's say, top three apps that you check in with every single day that you couldn't live without? Yeah. Okay. So um, I am going through a phase of of self-experimentation right now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a little more scattered than I would like to be and normally. Um, but for, for a long time, it was Trello. Mm-hmm. And just like a any Kanban board, just a Kanban board. That was how I did it. And then someone introduced me to the bullet journal. Mm-hmm. And the bullet journal was really an amazing tool. And it got me through moving out and selling my house and buying the tiny house and moving into that. And it, it was an invaluable tool in that. And it's a, for anyone who doesn't know the bullet journal, it's a, it's a very um, methodical way to journal and to use your journal as a productivity tool mm. and get stuff done. And it's very different than Kanban, um, but it was fun to experiment with that. And I still use it from time to time. There's really cool ways you can track habits as well with it, which I, I really like. So the bullet journal, Kanban, and then um, honestly, most recently, I have been using this app, and this I don't I don't necessarily recommend anyone to use this, but I find it so fascinating. It's called Habitica, <laughs> and it is a um, RPG or role playing game uh, <laughs> task list. So for anyone who doesn't play video games or know what role playing games are. Uh, if you've ever heard of Zelda or Final Fantasy or any of these games, Dungeons and Dragons, like the idea is you have this fictional character that has different attributes that as you play the game, you can level up those attributes. And oftentimes it's like a fantasy character with magic powers and all this stuff. And they have health points. And the whole the whole attraction is you're like growing this character and getting them stronger and, and like leveling up these different attributes. So Habitica is an open source task management program app that uh, is overlaid on top of like a simple RPG like this. And so uh, you you write your own task, but then you start to get, you can like find items and you get magic power and, and all this stuff. And it's, it's, uh, it's fun to see the potential of gamifying your life using stuff like that. That's so interesting. It's it's funny because I recorded another episode yesterday and we were talking about, about behavioral economics uh, and uh. we were talking about video games, gamification with habit formation and with like working within groups. And I don't know, we were talking a lot about video games, but it's so not my world. So I think my eyes like kind of glaze over, but that actually sounds kind of cool. <laughs> well, like, I mean, the, the habit thing is so, is so powerful, right? Yeah. The, and um, the, the way social media and a lot of, I'll just talk about social media for now. Yeah. The way they design it is so in keeping with the, it's, it's what you're talking about behavioral economics. It's so in keeping with gambling machines and like Mm. it, it does everything it can to keep you there longer. Every, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, they all want you on their site as long as possible. And so what I liked about Habitica is it's like taking that power and instead of having it used at you, you're using it for you in your Mm -hmm. life. And so, you know, here's a habit that I I was able to like add to my life using Habitica, um, flossing. (laughs) (laughs) So flossing has always been tricky for me, Mm -hmm. but using Habitica, just the simple act of checking off flossing at the end of my day and getting all these little flashy bonus things and finding items and leveling up my character like it's enough to release a little dopamine in my brain and mm-hmm. and help me with the habit formation and i think there's plenty of other ways to do it you know but some sort of reward for doing it really can can just it, it was like overnight oh now i have a habit so i've been going uh flossing every day strong for like 45 days now Dang. Okay. Well, I'm super excited. If anyone does end up downloading Habitica, let us know and let us know if it helps you with your flossing habit or other <laughs> habit. <laughs> That's so cool. Thank you for sharing that one. Yeah. Um, that link will be in the show notes for everyone listening. Can I ask you a random question? Always. Uh, if you were to add one habit to your life right now, what would it be? <sighs> um. I would like to add a habit back in. For five years, I went to the gym so consistently. Like you, like 
shockingly consistently, I would work out on vacation. Like I was one of those people who worked on a vacation and I used to hate those people and that I was one of them for five years. And recently I, I feel like, I don't know if it's my body just needs a break, but I just have not been at the gym. And so that's what I would re-implement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is so awesome. Yeah. It's, it's such a good one to, to include into your life. And I mean, it just has ripple effects throughout oh, your incredible. whole entire day. Yeah. yeah. Makes yeah. you eat right. makes you feel better. makes you, yeah. Yeah. That's what we were talking about when in terms of behavioral economics is that when you focus your energy on one habit and you just make it constraint, just that one habit you're working on, you also get the ripple effects and the nice side effects from that one habit in other areas of your life. So I'll, I'll tell you, this is a, an unprompted question, but I will tell you the habit that I've implemented that has most changed my life recently. You ready for this? Oh yeah. This sounds awesome. <laughs> this like has revolutionized my work day. Um, I implemented deep work sessions, which mm-hmm. are basically times without my phone and just full focus. So it's basically a combination of like a tech-free and Pomodoro. Do you know Pomodoro? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I love Pomodoro technique. Yeah, we'll put the link in for Pomodoro as well. Um, it has – I don't think I've ever created content so efficiently in my life. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you, 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 you started that uh, – did you start that for the podcast or were you doing that before? That's a good question. I don't remember which came first. Um, I guess probably before. So what, one of the ways that I practice deep work, so what, so I use the term deep work to encompass times without technology. And in those times I can do whatever I need to do. And so I did start it before the podcast. I started by doing an hour in the morning phone off with my morning pages. So that was one deep work block. And then throughout the day I would do three more one hour blocks. And so I guess the podcast came after. Wow. That's awesome. You get so much done. <laughs> well, it's funny because I'm like the podcast came out of deep work because I the first place I ever talked about podcasting was in my morning pages. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Yes. The, so that's a phenomenon that I have heard echoed um, across like all morning pages people, which is <laughs> that a lot and a lot of morning pages people are content creators like YouTubers. And so. Um, I like confession. I'm not morning paging. Ugh, right now. Get out of here. I know. I know. I should just get off right now. But uh, <laughs> the when I have it, like it launched me into the current one of the my main uh, jobs that I'm doing right now, teaching music uh, after school in elementary mm. middle school that started in morning pages and i hear this so often with people it's like some idea was born during morning pages and then it crystallized and so yeah that that turning off technology focusing in and like doing your doing your purpose is so powerful and it it definitely shows up can you tell us the story of how exactly that happened in your morning pages yeah, well it's interesting that the very first page of my journal was like i it just was like boom idea. I want to work with youth. I want to be a positive uh, role model. I want to do arts and creative stuff with them. And uh, within four or five months of journaling in the morning, um, on again, my magic Craigslist power found a found exactly the job I was looking for. And oh my gosh. So, you know, I, I'm I don't personally love the whole like power of manifestation secret. <laughs> secret stuff i'm not saying that it's not like possible to do or or putting anyone down who who finds um help in that but i don't personally feel like like trying to trying to make stuff manifest like that but it's almost like when you do deep work and when you do intuitive writing you're more in harmony with Mm. what's going on in the universe and so maybe you're more like an antenna picking up what is in in the flow for you or something like that there's someone listening to this podcast right now who's like yelling and is like, that's what manifestation is. Totally, <laughs> but, totally. but I totally know what you mean. And I think, I think that sometimes it comes down to semantics too, um, is uh, going full circle back to that idea of mantras is like, well, your version of you might be actually manifesting, but you might not call it manifesting in the way that like an Instagram influencer would. Um, totally. Totally. And, and I think it's also 
your idea of manifestation might involve more action than your perception of other people's manifestations. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, I think of it too, like, am I, am I trying to manifest something that my mind and habits want, or mm-hmm. am I trying to tune into what my soul needs and then kind of receive that? And I think, do you know Abraham Hicks? Oh yeah. Yeah. So she, they talk about about this kind of thing. Like sometimes you're trying to manifest something that's totally out of alignment with what, where you are. And rather than try and manifest what you want, quote unquote, manifest, like get into the, into the vibrational alignment of, of where you need to be. And it's very much like when you're learning how to ride a bike, look at where you want to go. Don't look at where you're not wanting to go because you'll, you'll fall over, you'll tip over, you know, look at the direction you want to drive in. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I I had a conversation about Abraham Hicks, which is basically a channeled entity. It's a group, right? It's a group of channeled entity, like non-physical entities channeled through a woman. Um, there's, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's super interesting. I'm sure people have mixed opinions about Abraham Hicks. (laughs) Um, but I think it's super interesting to think about manifestation and what you just said about Abraham Hicks and alignment, because I just wrote this post, you know, the one I referenced in the beginning about how to change your identity. And I have a whole page that's potential pitfalls (laughs) for doing this. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I call out is that if you are trying to create an identity that's completely misaligned with your, what I call your soul, what someone might call your essence or the light of God within you, whatever you want to call it, that you're going to come up against it, right? You're going to, one, probably not have success, and then you're going to believe that this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so I always say this is the perfect time if you're struggling with this to kind of create an identity that you want to have. Check in and ask yourself, is this really who I'm destined to be? Mm-hmm. Or and is this my egoic mind creating an identity because I think that's what people want or what wow. is good in the universe? Those are some of the deepest prompts and questions that one could ask. Like that's that's pretty profound if you if you really sink into that. Hmm. Thank you. I didn't realize it was that profound. So that's well, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who do you want to <laughs> be and who are you? And mm-hmm. what, what is it that you're actually craving and longing for in your, you know, in your deepest core? And, you know, in, so in the Vedic sciences, um, the way that we are put together is broken down uh, quite, quite uh, succinctly. But like we have what's called false ego or a hankar. And it's, it's the identification with this body as me, with my mind, as you know, my thoughts and my and even my personality. And so the identity, as as you can change your identity, it means it's it's flexible, it's fluid, and it also means it's not eternal mm. because it changes. Whereas the soul is considered to be eternal and non-changing. So your true your truest identity is sort of what maybe we're hoping to get to shine through with, with morning pages and intuitive writing. And, and, Mm -hmm. and, and like you're saying, when you're trying to change your identity, listening to, to who you really are and trying to align with that identity and kind of get the temporary stuff, maybe not as present and really, really tune into what your soul is asking for. That is a really amazing call to action. And Yeah, it makes me think about um, the Parker Palmer quote that I quote all the time, which is paraphrased, instead of telling your life what values you have and what life you want to live, listen for what values already live within you. Mm -hmm. And that's why I ask myself, what are my values on a really consistent basis? Because I think that my ego mind wants to be a certain type of person and my intuition's like, wait, (laughs) hold on we're fine. We're fine as we are. Let's focus. Let's double down on who you already are. Mm, I love that. I love that saying. Sometimes it's, it's not doing something else that needs to be done. It's accepting what's there or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I just need to just schedule in like two hour, just contemplation periods after my podcasting. Cause I just always walk away with just this 
robust new knowledge and new thoughts. It's so powerful. So I really appreciate you, you coming on. I feel like I've scratched the surface of getting to know you. And I have so many more questions, but also want to be respectful to our dear listeners. Absolutely. <laughs> um, on on that note, so we've we, I mean we've gone everywhere, right? We've talked about mainstream culture, spirituality, religion. We talked about minimalism and productivity, project management. Any other big things on your mind right now that you'd like to close out with? Well, you know, I've edited several, like not several. I've edited seventeen episodes, <laughs> and this 18. question. 18 episodes, sorry. <laughs> uh, and this question, you know, I'm, I'm always paying attention to what the what your guest is saying. And um, I always wanted to, like, I was like, okay, well, I would need to come up with some really profound, big thing to say for this part. But I guess that I would, I would just say that um, what's going on inside your heart is probably the most important thing. And we get really convinced by the external nature by, by everything we see around us, that that's what's most important is everything that's going on outside. And that maybe the, the most important search is to go in as much as possible. That's really interesting. It reminds me of this quote, which I just Googled and found <laughs> like a champ. It says, every day the world will grab you by the hand yelling, this is important and this is important. You need to worry about this and this and this. And each day it's up to you to yank your hands back, put it on your heart and say, no, this is what's important. Mm. I love that so much. Who's that by? Ian Thomas. Ian Thomas. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Uh, do you know Hafiz? No. Hafiz is uh, like kind of alongside Rumi in the mystic Sufism poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hafiz, Hafiz is one of my favorite um, lovers of God that mm. I've ever stumbled upon. Uh, you can send me some resources and I will put them in the show notes for all of our listeners. And I will for sure take a look myself. I uh, One day I'm just going to go out to the woods, maybe into a tiny house and just read Rumi <laughs> for like yeah, three days that straight. Sounds great. That right? Sounds so beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for joining today. This has been a very illuminating conversation, and I I really appreciate you joining. Thank you so much for having me, Christina. It's awesome to work with you and hear all these conversations you're having, and I'm excited uh, for season two. Thanks so much. <laughs> thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Your support helps this podcast grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and then head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is so much appreciated, and I will see you on the next episode.